0: to the We Can't Wrestle podcast. Now it's time for our host, Eight.
1: Hello, wrestling fans, and welcome to the latest edition of the Weekend Wrestle Podcast. It is episode 172. I'm your host, Nate Maxson, along with my brother, Aaron.
2: Hello,
3: everyone.
1: And Mr. Main Event, Mark Brew. Yo, 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 yo. Archie, uh, there's espionage at his office. The FBI raided his Mar-a-Lago or something, so he's not here with us. Yeah,
3: Donald
2: Trump showed up and took some fucking (laughs) documentations. (laughs)
1: Everyone says, oh, she's not a good guy. Everyone's saying it. Everyone. Um, This week, we are going to continue and end our journey through the Pro Wrestling Illustrated 500, the inaugural one. We're going to try to do 50 names in 90 minutes or a little bit more. Um, It's like I was telling the guys before. Some of these people, we're not going to have to spend a bunch of time on just because how often do we talk about Hulk Hogan on other shows and stuff? You know, it's not like we have to spend... 10 minutes talking about Bret Hart because we talk about Bret Hart every single week. So, but we will break it down here for you and get down to it. Number 50 in the 1991 PWI 500 is we, we kind of spoiled it last week Earthquake. Archie Mitchell, <laughs> six forwards, 462, three years pro, sure. huge feared WWF rule breaker, has injured Hulk Hogan and killed Damien with his earthquake splash. A former sumo wrestler ago? in Japan, three years pro, managed by Jimmy Hart. You know what always baffled me about him? I didn't know. I, I didn't know how young he was. Like yeah. he was only like he was only like forty two when he died. He
3: looked like he was in his fifties in nineteen eighty nine. I guess it was because he had you know the whole uh, horseshoe thing going on up top almost, and it was balding.
1: Yeah, yeah, but I just it blew my mind one day. I don't know why, but I went down a Wikipedia rabbit hole, and when I was looking at his profile and I looked you know, what, what, when did he die, and then it said forty two, and I was like, "Son of a bitch, are you kidding me?" <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, uh, I always enjoyed the Natural disasters when him and That was one of my favorite tag teams as a kid. Aaron,
1: any thoughts on Tenta?
0: I, I'm a, I I like
1: Earthquake.
2: Um, I didn't like Babyface Earthquake.
1: But just in general, I, I mean, I enjoyed the guy. And the, the the snake thing, the Jake the Snake thing's funny if you watch like a clip of it. Because um, they show the clip, there's a clip of it online and it's like, I think it's from like an event center or something and they show Earthquake do the splash on Damien and then they splash to Mean Gene's face and he does like the... <laughs> so, like, oh my
2: god. Or Vince when he's like these are snake burgers and he like smacks them out of his hand. He's disgusted, yeah. but he's like wearing like that windbreaker. It's ridiculous.
1: <laughs> Number 49 is Conan, 5'10, 230, 4 years pro, on his way to becoming a legend in Mexico. Recently competed in WCW and WWF. High flying athletic style has caused many fans to name him the Middle Maskeress of the nineties. He really did become a, a, a cultural icon in, in Mexico. Yeah. yeah.
3: Um, I enjoyed him most with the uh NWO Wolfpack.
1: Yeah, I, I um I was never a huge, huge fan. I thought I I, I liked him as a promo. That's um, what I was gonna know, say. Go ahead, sorry. No, I was just going to say, in the ring to me, I, I don't know, nothing ever stood out, but I really did like him as a promo.
3: What was it? That's uh, what I was going to say.
2: He was the personality aspect of it I enjoyed, but like in ring it just did, didn't really do it for me. And he's one of those guys that I think – because I've read of like, interviews with him and shit like that, and he wasn't like – he was one of those guys that wasn't a fan of the business. Like the business found him,
1: mm-hmm. you know,
2: kind of like Lucre. Yeah. So he didn't really, he didn't really have the, as a, he, like, they always say, like, if you're a second generation guy or you liked it as a kid, you're going to be better at it. You know, mm-hmm. he said like, um, <laughs> he said one of the main things, one of the biggest problems that he had in WWE was he got there and like I said he's he's admitted that he wasn't like a fan of the business so he didn't know people and stuff. And his Max Moon outfit was like gigantic, you know, and he had to like lug it around and everything like that. And guess who he asked to help carry his bags into the building because he didn't was, know who this man was.
1: Was it Pat Patterson?
2: No. It was no, worse. I-
3: Oh. It was Arnold <laughs> Skolland <Brisco? laughs>
2: Arnold Skolan? No he had Arnold Skolland To help him carry his bags And, <laughs> and Arnold Skolland Just being a nice guy I was like alright You know <laughs> you know. but then like These guys are sitting in the locker room And fucking Skolland is carrying his bags And he's like right then and there I was like ugh
3: <laughs> He didn't know
2: he had heat walking in But he had heat <laughs> and, and I did like... I like You know what
1: the
3: fuck that is
1: Right I did, I did always – it did pop me when he did was doing the throw the shoe thing, too. That was funny.
3: Yeah, that was fun.
1: <laughs> Number 48 is Tom Zank. 6'1", oh, yeah. 237, seven years pro. Z-Man is back in WCW following a bicep tear. Former PNW titleist and U.S. Tag Team Champion with Brian Pillman. <laughs> Drop kick from the top turnbuckle is stunning. Great athlete, Tom Zank.
0: Yeah.
1: Why did I say that like an old guy? Great athlete, Tom Zink. Uh, Tom Zink, like great athlete,
2: um, good build, good looking guy. I think he would have been more suited to be like a heel with a mouthpiece.
1: Mm-hmm. He would have been a opinion. good. He would have been a good Al Perez. You know, like we t- we talked about Al Perez, how even when they put him in the mouthpiece, he was still, he still stunk up the joint, but I mean, he had a good look, but he stunk, you know, Tom Zenk had a good look and he could go. He just wasn't a great promo and he was miscast as a baby face. Yeah. And apparently and an was, asshole, but. He, he left <laughs> us, what, five years ago? Uh, Yeah, it's been. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, I thought it was like two, 2017, 2018. Says it's not- I'm gonna yeah. to
3: try
2: to. I'm gonna try to jump a- to my computer here. Okay.
3: Atherosclerosis and cardiomegaly.
1: Oof! I don't know what that is, but it sounds awful. <laughs> yeah.
3: <laughs> I think well, cardiomegaly a- has, has something to do with with your heart. I'm sure and
1: it could have been i mean he, a lot of the guys from that era had that enlarged heart problem you know because of because of the the steroids and stuff so you never know number 47 is dino bravo man 6'1", 256 at this point, 19 years pro, earned reputation as strongman, held the WWF tag titles with Dominic DiNucci in 1978 and Canadian international title in 1986, returned to the WWF as a fan favorite. Um, At this point, he's pretty much, I think at this point he's not on TV. Um, They're really only using him when they're up in Montreal. Yeah, we're just using him as
2: like, uh, you guys can hear me, right? I did switch over. Yeah, they were using him as like the draw house up there, and I'm sure he probably
3: helping promote it. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's showing a uh, a lot more for ninety than it is ninety one. But like, as far as like, I thought him and Earthquake was a good fit because like it really got got him over in that heel.
2: Yeah, him but, and yeah, Jimmy I mean, and Earthquake. We're, we're cool together. Like I like when he'd be like jumping up and down and like uh, Dino, would, or yeah, Dino would like run around
1: him, you know, with his cape. Yeah. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, four number forty six, Davy Boy Smith, five, nine, 245, 14 years pro British bulldog is enjoying solo success. Teamed with Dynamite Kid to win the WWF World Tag Titles in nineteen eighty six, Power Slam has spelled many recent victories. Davy Boy, this is at this point got the cornrows, and uh, he's—I uh, mean, he has some—he has some really good matches in the early nineties. Some good rivalries, um, and 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 I know last the last show I, we talked about how it was a Warlord Mark for Big Man for Big Muscle Man matches. Davey Boy and Warlord had good matches, you know. I mean, he was he was doing good work at this time. Probably, I'd say, I'd say from 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 ninety one to ninety six, Davey was one of the twenty finest wrestlers in the world. Yeah, at this yeah.
0: point, he was
2: he was a little like it, it hurt him a little bit because he was a little too big, you know. Yeah, he had the, he, the, 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 he put too on his on his frame. I call like, it like, Batista not, syndrome. Yeah, not too much weight. You know what I mean. Too much muscle on his frame. Yeah. Mm-hmm. but like the in between, like like I said, like when he was like at his jack to his gills, it was like, Ugh. not not uh, I shouldn't say uh, it, <laughs> it his work suffered a little bit. But like when he was with Dynamite, and then after he came back, and like I don't know. Ninety four and got down to like what he looked like in like ninety five through like ninety eight.
1: Like that's that's peak
2: dynamite mm-hmm. in, in my opinion. It's actually surprising,
1: like you said, Aaron, as, as tight and as cut as he was, that he wasn't injured more often.
3: Well, I used to love that. Like with him, my favorite thing he he do was that military press slam. Mm-hmm. God, he he was he executed that so well. Yeah.
2: And it wasn't a move, but that shit where he would, where he would just basically, um, front or back flip. You know what I mean? Where he's almost like flipping off of his neck. It's like this is insane. Right.
3: <laughs> I've heard, I've heard his uh, daughter speak on him, and, and I'm glad that they finally put him into the, the Hall of Fame. He Same, yeah.
1: It was very, it was long overdue. Long overdue. Number 45, Cactus Jack, hells yeah, six-four, two 8 years pro, totally unpredictable, flying elbow smash from the apron of the floor has to be seen to be believed, feuding with Eddie Gilbert and Sunny Beach. At this time, he's kind of doing um, East Coast Indies, he's not, I don't think at this time he's with WCW, no, he, he was on, yeah. during this period of time, he was on a Resi's show a lot. Yeah, this um, is him getting into
2: UWF. Yeah,
3: yeah.
1: Um,
2: um,
3: it says ninety one. He's in uh, WCW. Yeah, he does. He he's like, it's weird because like, he starts he's... in August of ninety one. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: with this covering ninety, he's kind of like in between, you know. Kind of like I said, doing East Coast Indies, and that he did. He did the he did the run in the UWF deal, and um, <clears throat> but he is. By far, probably when he's not, before he signs the WCW, he's probably one of the, if not the top talent in the world, unsigned by a major promotion. Yeah. And I I was going to say, too, like, remember how, like, you know, like, um,
2: you hear about guys that like leave the WWE now, and then they're, after they leave and they go off and do their shit, they're more desirable they become more desirable to the companies after they leave them, you know, Mm -hmm. kind of like, like, kind of like Drew McIntyre, you know what I mean? And that's kind of what Mick did here. Like he left WCW because he didn't like what they were doing with him. And he went out there and showed the other promotions that didn't have, like the major promotions that didn't have faith in him of look what I can do, you know? Mm -hmm. And then it was like, Oh wow. We need to get that guy back. because
1: Christ! Yeah. If y'all have never, if any of you out there have never seen, the indie matches that Cactus and Eddie Gilbert did, go back and watch. That's
3: some good shit, pal. My my biggest thing is I got like a, a ton of respect for him because he done all that hardcore stuff, and you know a lot of those guys fall into that circle. Of they need something to help them with that pain. Mm-hmm. And Cactus was one of, never one of those guys. With yeah. that You know. Yeah, he refused he... to go down that road.
1: Yeah, he never fell in the bottle. You know, he never fell in any of the bottles. You know, I mean, booze, pills, none of it. Yeah, granted. Now he, you know, it's now he can (laughs) can't walk very well, and you know he's in pain all the time, and etc. But God bless him. He he kept it natural at least.
0: (laughs) What's he say? Like like,
1: like what's he say?
2: He's like God bless me with this fat, this flat ass, flat ass, yes, perfect (laughs) pumping body, this flat ass. I can do this shit like
1: <laughs> There's nothing I can do about it. <laughs> Number forty-four is Brian Pillman, six foot two twenty-six, four years pro flying. Brian was recently forced out of WCW. Fine aerial ability, including a flying clothesline after spring from spring from the top rope. Hopes to be back soon. With uh, this, is when he did the yellow dog shit. Boy, right? this, is, this is yellow dog. Pillman is oh, great. I mean, he's 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 the guy you talk about. Uh, and I know it. Probably the saddest passing in wrestling is Owen. Obviously, we're all right. you know. And when anybody passes, it's sad. But I'm just saying for us as fans. But Pillman's is the he. He passed too early to really live up to his potential because we've talked about before what an integral part he could have been of the attitude era. Yeah. yeah.
3: He's, gone, he's gone. But talking about his,
1: um,
2: not not wanting to like harp on negative things, but like talking about this, um, he was a guy that was kind of the opposite of what I was saying about Conan, was that he didn't want to be a wrestler. You know what I mean? Like he mm. wanted to play pro ball, but obviously that wasn't in the works for him because he was smaller and kept getting hurt and all that shit, you know? So he wound up getting in wrestling and he hadn't really been a wrestling fan, but he is kind of any Nate or Nate or Mark. you can tell me I'm, if I'm out of left field on this, but he is that era's version of Kurt angle, in my opinion of this guy that, that wasn't a fan. Um, didn't want really anything to do with it, but got into it out of necessity. And when he got into it, fucking absorbed the business like a sponge and was just like immediately good mm-hmm. because right. he was just a fucking insane athlete and, you know, and, and a great athlete with good
1: work ethic. That's what like, it
2: takes. Like when I think he got in what? 88, maybe 89, 89, 89. Actually, but, no, I
1: think he got it. I think he started in 87.
2: Okay, so I'm just saying this is exact. 87, okay, and by 1990, Ric Flair is saying, "I want to work with that guy." Mm-hmm. That's fucking nuts. That the greatest wrestler on the planet at that time is like, "I want to work with that guy." Right. I just. Uh, think right it's
3: here. Earliest it goes back is 89 on filming. Okay.
2: But I know it was. I know it was before '89 because he 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 was up there teaming with uh, Bruce. Yeah, there. he was in
1: Stampede before any game yeah. to W. He came to WCW in '89.
3: Yeah. So this is uh, pre blondes and all that, right? Oh yeah, oh yeah. That's, so uh, uh, this is
2: this is a year and a half down the road, probably from '91,
3: along those same lines there. That- was talking about like that generation's Kurt Angle. Like he didn't want to be a wrestler. I just recently saw like a shoot interview from prior to Kurt Angle ever coming into WWE and they were like, uh, would you ever sign with WWE? And he was like, hell no, I don't care how much they got for me. <laughs> and, and, and then it turned around and, and, and a few years later he's there. <laughs> Lo and you know,
2: behold. It, it, you know what the funniest part though about that is? With him saying, Hell no, I don't care how much they'd offer me. When he won the when he won the gold medal in the Olympics in like ninety six, they offered him a right. huge contract. Huge contract. And he turned him down because he wanted to go into like broadcasting, like sports casting or whatever. And he sucked right. at it. Like he's told the story. He's like, he sucked at it. He was like, I was horrible on camera, like trying to do all the shit. So then I was like, oh, I'll try the WWF thing again. So he went back to him and was like, Can we still get that? is that offer still on the table? And they're like, ha, 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 no, it isn't. <laughs> Not for that then, price. But yeah, it, that was two years ago. So then he wound
1: up making like 400 bucks a week. working yeah. in Memphis. to <laughs> <Number>, n- have <laughs> Number 43, Eddie Gilbert, 5'10", 222, 14 years pro. Hot Stuff has used some of the vilest tactics ever seen, but is currently a fan favorite. Recently departed the USWA. Hurls fire, but knows the ring
3: well. Every um, time I I hear that damn name, Donna Summers comes on in my head.
2: <laughs> he's one of my favorites. Um, Nate knows that. Like, I'm not telling any stories out of school saying that fucking Eddie's one of my favorites. Um, great mind for the wrestling business. Um, he's a guy that um, in a lot of ways can say, like, you know, we say all the time, oh, he was his own worst enemy, didn't get out of his own way. He would do that a lot in his career um and i don't know if it's true but i know missy hyatt has said that um right around the time before he passed away vince was considering bringing him into um book basically like tell book
1: yes and that's that is true um the uh it was either Jerry Jarrett or Jim Ross. One of the two corroborated that story. So yes, it is true. He was he was they were considering bringing him in to be a part of you know because at that time they were they kind of had a committee going, right, and yeah. they, were, they were they were considering bringing him in as part of the committee. Vince didn't want to use him as a talent on on camera, but he went
3: he was willing to use him as, as creative. Yes, and wasn't like ninety when he. Does done that tag team and stuff with Tommy Rich and all? I believe so. It's around that time. Right. I, I enjoyed that. And I mean, Gilbert, he just had that charisma.
2: I just like I said, I think the guy was a hell of a talent. Um, I'm not saying he was like the greatest in-ring worker, but he was a good in-ring worker, but personality-wise, mind for the business,
0: Mhm
2: almost like a he's almost like a Scott levy, you know yeah. what I mean kind of like a jack of all trades master yeah. of none if that makes sense, I agree with that like I've never watched a Scott <laughs> levy like that was the greatest thing I've ever seen five star classic because of the 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 work, but it was a five star classic because of the psychology of it, and that's kind of how I, Eddie was he he really knew how to draw heat
3: too,
1: yeah. Number 42 is Mr. Saito, 5'11, 247, 26 years pro. Grizzled Japanese veteran, remains one of the top stars in the Orient. Beat Larry Zabisco for the AWA title in 1990. Master of hundreds of debilitating holds. Uh, Nate, good. I was just going to say, I mean, other than the stuff that I've watched from like Late 70s, early 80s, him teaming with Mr. Fuji in the WWF. I haven't seen a lot of Saito, so I really don't. You know, I mean, it is what it is. He was he was over as a heel during his time. And visually wise, looking at him as a guy,
2: and, and it's probably true in real life, not just visually wise, but looking at him, you're just like, if I saw that guy walking down the street or in a bar, I'd be like, that's
1: not a guy to fuck with. Right. <laughs>
3: To me, he he's looks a, like the Japanese very
1: looking person of an Yeah, he's a big, thick, he was a big, thick motherfucker.
2: Yeah. That probably, yeah, like, I think he's one of those guys that said, with that, they in the business they would say he's not gonna go anywhere that he doesn't want to. You know what I mean? Like, you're not gonna right. scroll right. Mr. Saito wherever he doesn't want to, like, <laughs> like a Haku or a Scott Norton or you know, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? That type of thing. And, um, just everything i've ever read about the guy or learned about the guy he was a guy that in japan like that the the japanese locker rooms were like he's he's the fucking man. They'll, they'll fuck with him, do what he says. kind of like kind of like their haku, you know?
3: I really want to go back and and look at some of this uh 90s stuff that that he done just like he was working like this Steiners, this Nick Rock with Bob this tag team with Muda um him with Ricky
0: Chosu. He's twenty
1: six. He's twenty-six years in. He's like, I'm still in my prime, baby. Yeah. <laughs>
0: right.
2: Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> it, makes you, it makes you wonder too. Would Mr. Fuji have done the shit like the ribs and shit that he did if you didn't know Saito was with him? Right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Number forty-one is Rick Martel, six foot 236, 19 years pro, former AWA champion is among the sport's most gifted pure athletes also an excellent tag wrestler, became the model in 1989,
3: set to travel to Japan. Never bad. Never Never bad. As a a kid, he worked me. I I hated his freaking guts. You were supposed to, and and he worked me. And now that I'm older, I really, really appreciate what he brought to the table. Mm -hmm.
1: And you know what he did too? Really good? Okay, so Martell... And if you've ever seen any shoot interviews with him you'll know what I'm saying. Martell is one of those guys who no matter how long he was in the states he could not he could not mask his accent. So what he did, what he did great was promo wise he made it short and sweet but good, you know, hey, uh, get my good side. No, 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 no. This is my good side. Like he made it he made it sound bites, you know? And that was very smart on his on his uh on his part. And there's people
2: there there's people that I've read like comments and stuff where they shit on that gimmick. And I'm like, that's a great fucking gimmick. Oh, it was fantastic. And
1: and I'm sure if you asked him uh hey hey Rick, if you're going to a if you're going to a convention next week. And they want you to come out to the ring and do a little thing in the ring. What are you going to come out as?
2: I'm so going to come gonna, out
1: as the model. Are you going to come in your little blue and red pants
2: or your little, right. red your little, your, your little Tony Gurria outfit with your little butthead gimmick. <laughs> 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 you know what I mean? Like, yeah, no, he's going to
1: he's going to bring arrogance. <laughs>
2: yeah, but but Martel, like I said, was never bad. Um, even like that little run that he had in WCW, they got cut short because he hurt himself or whatever. Like. That was kind of. It looked like it was like when that happened. I was like, oh man, this is almost like kind of going to be like a resurgence for Rick. And then he got hurt, and then was probably just like, fuck it, I'm
0: mm-hmm.
2: too old for this shit. You know, I just go home. But um, like I said, I've never seen Rick Martel have a match that sucked. I mean, I had that. <laughs> there's not a lot of guys you can say that about. Right. And it was fun too that 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 small time that he was with Slick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was always funny watching him and Slick dance
1: together for some
3: reason. Yeah, <laughs> it made
1: me laugh. Rick Martell coming out to jive Soul Bro. It's
3: Yeah, It's great. And I, ne- I never knew what the hell that was. That he, you know, and now I know what it was. But like back when I was younger, I was like, "What is that damn thing? He's spraying that stuff." You know, the like, atomizer. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was unique, and and now when I see something like that, that's immediately where my head goes.
2: But yeah, the gimmick was ridiculous enough to be awesome. Like, not if you don't know, after I've told you I'm a model, I'm going to wear a
3: gigantic button. Oh, it it says, says, yes, I, I am, am a model. I am a model. <laughs> <clears throat> what was up with the variety, though? That
2: was awesome.
3: <laughs> Number 40 <laughs> is Carrie name? Von...
1: Number 40 is Kerry Von Erich, 6'2", 260, 13 years pro. The Texas tornado, tornado is a former IC champ, captured too many titles in the world class to list here, brother of Kevin Von Erich, master of the claw hold. He is um, going off, really off the rails at this point. Um, he, he, had the, he had the title run in 90, um, and then through 91 and 92, he's still in the WWF, but not... Not heavily featured, just because, again, it's kind of going off the rails. It's kind of a train get, wreck. I'm getting arrested.
3: Yeah. Well, like, like I, we talked about multiple times, that's my first wrestling memory. So, to me, that, that comes as, like, to me, that's what a wrestler should look like as far as, you know, physique.
1: Well, and for those listeners that maybe don't know, haven't watched a lot of it, because I know I have um you have you have a you have certain certain wrestlers in certain territories you know like it was Tommy Rich in Georgia or it was JYD in in New Orleans in in Louisiana or what have you man it was Kerry Von Eric in fucking Texas there was never a wrestler more over in Texas than Kerry Von Erich indeed Number 39, Erwin R. Scheister, 6'2, 245, 10 years pro, formerly known as Mike Rotunda, Captain Mike and Michael Wall Street, actually a gifted natural wrestler, a former amateur champ at Syracuse. Mike Rotunda, boring and sweaty.
3: This is a uh, pre varsity club and
1: all that. Post. Post. Oh. He's just he's yeah. at this point, he's just come into the WWF. Uh, as, as IRS, that, that
3: varsity club stuff, I I enjoyed.
1: I was never okay. I'm never gonna shit on Mike Rotunda as a wrestler. The guy, bell to bell, obviously a great amateur, a great wrestler. The IRS gimmick, actually, to me was the best thing that ever happened to him because it gave him something to like, something to a, a bone to chew on. You know, as far yeah. as promos and stuff go. But I was never a huge fan. He just never excited me. I don't know. I just couldn't get into him.
2: I agree with the IRS. I agree with the IRS thing. Um, the only times that I really enjoyed Mike Rotunda was when he was IRS, and then I did honestly. It was because he was part of a package deal. I enjoyed when he was with um, Rick and Kevin, um, and that was cool because they they sold it as like Kevin Nash or Kevin Nash. Kevin Sullivan took this this varsity athlete and like turned him crazy, you know what mm-hmm. I mean so I mean that that was cool, but anything else like down in Florida and New more
3: i I thought it was a weird, weird uh combination of them putting him with the million dollar man like mm-hmm. like he's gonna make sure he does his taxes right. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I got all this money. I I can't figure out a way to launder it. Uh, IRS is going to handle that for me. (laughs) Archie Mitchell.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Number 38 is a guy that I'm a, a big fan of. Larry Zabisco. 5'11", 248, 19 years pro. Former AWA champion. Calls himself a living legend. Feuded with Bruno Stan Martino in a legendary feud. Now teams with Arn Anderson as the enforcers in WCW. I love Larry Zabisco. I think Larry Zabisco is a great wrestler. I think Larry Zabisco is a great promo. He was a great commentator. Um, just Larry all around is a great performer. I really like him.
3: Yeah, like like him and uh, Heenan together in WCW as commentary. Oh my god, that was hilarious.
1: Yeah, <laughs> you know uh, one of the, you know, I, I don't mean to cut you off, Aaron. I'll, I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll, but Mark, you know, and I know Aaron knows this. I don't know if you know this, Mark though. You know what one of my favorite things in the history of TNA is? What's that? The little mini rivalry between Larry Zbysko and Raven. They had, like, great moments on TV together. Just two guys that are big personalities working off of each other, and it was so
3: good. Yeah, and you get intrigued by that, because they're, like, polar opposites. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Oh, yeah, it was really... Like, like
1: Larry was the what is it? What did they call it in TNA? The director of authority or whatever. And then, you know, Raven's the like DOA, or- Raven's like bucking up to him and stuff. And they're cutting pro. Oh, God, it was so good. And Zabisco's a guy
2: that um, I can admit that part of me appreciated when I was younger. But the older I got and the more I realized what wrestling's supposed to be or whatever, it's like, yeah, this dude's awesome. And, um, the game of
1: human chess,
2: yeah. Um, he's also got one of my favorite Arn Anderson things ever. Arn called him the cigar store Indian. <laughs> <laughs> and he, the reason Arn called him the cigar store Indian was because when they were a tag team, Arn was like, I'm in here bumping my ass off, doing all this work, and you're just standing in the corner like a cigar store Indian, not doing <laughs> nothing.
1: That's great, <laughs> That's it, number thirty-seven is Sean Michaels, six foot two twenty, eight years pro. Among the elite high flyers, he and Marty Jannetty are the rockers. Duo captured the AWA tag title twice. Now one of the finest WWF tag
3: tandems.
1: Um, Goddamn, they
3: were a good tag team. Yeah. I really enjoyed a lot of their six man work though, because like, they put like Boss Man with them and stuff like that during this era, mm. and it, it was great to me. Like they clicked with anybody as as long as they were face, you know.
0: Yeah.
2: And we already evaluated Marty, didn't we? Yes. It's kind of weird they were that far apart, but um Sean, especially, was <coughs> hurt for a little bit. I think, wasn't he?
1: Yeah, yeah. He, 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 he had his motorcycle accident or whatever. Yeah, he he was out for a bit in late ninety. Um, but yeah, I mean, and again, we're talking about we're talking about Sean in this era. Again, in other shows, we talk about him in ninety seven. We talk about him in ninety five, whatever. But in this era, him and Marty are. Are hands down one of the top five tag teams in the world. They're not having a bad match with anybody. They're bringing it every night, and um, yeah, I mean, just
3: so fucking good, so crisp, yeah. And uh, go ahead, Mark. Their execution was flawless. Like they were, to me, like that era's Rock and Roll Express.
2: Mm-hmm. And they were, um, I know this isn't this era, but but there's like some shit in Memphis where they were like bad guys, you know, and they were actually kind of like a cool little heel tag team too, and they never really got that, and obviously got that in the WWF, but at this point, I mean, I'd only say probably the only people that could probably touch him would be Bret and Neidhart. And are they even yeah. still teaming at this point?
1: Um, or is Brett they, 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 that weird shit where they got like, hot and cold, with Brett? Yeah, they they I think at this time, and I guess we'll find out when we get to Brett in the countdown. But they'd, I think they'd at this, them like this little, is they give him little things like like work with Ted yeah. and do this and but, yeah, but, they would they would split them up and put them back together at this yeah. time. They never officially broke up. But you know, you'd have you'd have like three months where they're wrestling singles, and then because it suits what they want to do
3: booking wise, they just put them back together again. Yeah, but I,
2: I'd say the Hearts were probably the only team that could touch them.
0: Mm-hmm. At
3: this time. I hated in '90 how how they had the team with the Rockers and uh, Snuka and Dave Roberts lose to Hercules, the Power and Glory, ripped the Model, on the Warlord. I was like, so they should have went over, damn it. <laughs> Number
1: 36, Sergeant Slaughter, 6'3", 3'10", 14 years pro, former Marine drill, drill instructor, has disgusted fans, but has also made a great comeback. Won the WWF world title from the Ultimate Warrior in early 91, aging but cunning. Um, at this time, of course, you got the Iraqi sympathizer gimmick. There's people that hate it. There's people that like it. Um, I don't know. Sometimes I'm on the fence I'm on it. At the time, when I was 12 years old, he was a dastardly heel and Hulk Hogan was the baby face and I was watching it, you know. Yeah. Um, so, but, you know, now you look back on it now, it's like, uh, was it exploitive? wrestling's always exploitive though you know yeah. like i that's one thing where sometimes somebody will say oh they're exploiting this or they're exploiting the war or they're exploit but when didn't when hasn't wrestling exploited the war
0: yeah when hasn't
1: were. wrestling had foreign heels like, you know he pearl harbored
2: him it was a fucking mm-hmm. bird. <laughs> like that they just right and am i saying that was like great to say no but it was it's always been a thing and it's mm-hmm. always japanese sneaky japanese wrestlers fucking box-headed german wrestlers I'm not, I'm not saying box-headed you know what i mean like the haircut yeah. or whatever, like that's always been a thing uh, <laughs> the evil the evil russian, russian yeah. yeah the evil russian the the only reason i think people got heat with it is because when they did the sneaky japanese and the and the dirty and the and, and like the 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 mean. The war was Nazi, over. The war was over, and they were yeah. trading on on old feelings, the old stanky heat, old stanky <laughs> heat. Whereas this, it was going on. That's the yeah. only thing, and and I'm not even saying I I agree with it or disagree with it. I'm just saying that's the only like defense I can hear somebody mm-hmm. say. It. That's why I didn't agree with it. Was because it was going on at the at the time and people were kids were coming back at like men and women were coming back in boxes. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, that's the only reason that I can say that. And, um, but to me it was, it was what it was. Was it the greatest idea in the world? No, but it was, it was it the worst thing. No,
1: no, it
2: just kind of was what it was. Part of me wishes it would have been chic tugboat though.
3: (laughs) I really like the okay. SummerSlam 91 uh, with Hogan and Warrior versus Mustafa Adnan and, Sla- and Slaughter but it
1: was That was the match made in hell. Um, <laughs> number <Napal> 30, and <laughs> Nuptials.
0: Nap- Napalm Napal and
1: Nuptials. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> number 35 is Abdullah the Butcher. Thanks, Larry. 6'1, 360, 33 years pro, long regarded as the most bloodthirsty man in the sport, former WW, WWC Caribbean champion and brass knuckles title holder, managed by at least a dozen men.
3: And now that he was doing uh, All Japan and NWA a lot,
1: he's waddling around the All Japan and NWA. Yeah. Just <laughs> sucking. So here's man. my thing about Abby. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'll, like, be, I'll, <laughs> I'll be quick. I'll be quick about Abby. All right. Um Abby wasn't quick. N- not at all. But my thing about <laughs> Abdullah is I get it. I get it. I get because, it. Too. Because of the era of wrestling that he started. I mean, the motherfucker started in the 60s. And in the era of wrestling that he started through the time that he was in wrestling, it was it was he was like Andre. He was yeah. He was like Andre. He was a traveling attraction. Yeah, you know, people want it's a morbid curiosity to come see this savage
3: man, madman from the Sudan, and
1: and, and, and I, again, I, like I said, I'm not a fan. I'm not going to sit down and watch an Abdullah the Butcher match marathon. But I get it, you know.
3: Well, he was born in January 11th, 1941. <clears throat> <laughs> and the son of a bitch is still alive. <laughs> yeah, and, but <laughs> oh, good. he's probably got like, hepatitis. He's probably got hepatitis A through Z. The, yeah. the shit with him and, and Tommy Rich, though, like if you've ever seen any of that shit, yeah. like that was on the level of like Dusty Flair shit in the south. Um,
2: the thing I'll say about Abby is Abby was an attraction. He wasn't a guy that you were gonna bring in and build your entire company around. He was the guy that the manager was like, "I'm having the problem with the the, the main baby face, you know, and all my all my other charges haven't been able to do it. So tonight or whatever in yeah. this arena, I'm bringing in Abdullah the Butcher. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I'm bring,
1: and, uh, this, this and, Sunday uh, night. This Sunday night in Atlanta, I'm bringing in an assassin. Yeah,
2: the butcher, and uh, um. Like Manny Fernandez, I just listened. I listened to Manny Fernandez's interview, Brian Solomon's interview with him. You know what I mean?
3: Mm-hmm. And
2: and he said that like Abby was bumping around doing the the suplex and this that, and he's like, how oh, you've been holding back. You, you you've known how to do this the whole time, you know." And part of me agrees with Abdullah's um um thought process on that. It's like, do you want to see Abdul the Butcher have like a three star match? No. You want to see him fucking suplexing and jumping off the ropes and doing all that, or you want to see him with the fork and the fire and the? It's like it's, it's the mystique thing of it, you know what I mean?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: It's kind of like Taker too. Taker, like later in his career, you know, about '97, he started having like really good matches and shit. But before that, did you ever see an Undertaker match where you were like, holy shit, that was amazing? Mm-hmm.
3: No. It was only the old he, school. He moves. knew he what people Undertaker. wanted to see him do.
2: Like they didn't want to see Undertaker doing planches and shit at that time. They wanted him to to be stoic and do this, that, and the other thing. Abby understood his fucking gimmick and made a lot of money out of it. And God bless him.
3: I would have loved to see fucking baby boy military press slam, by That would have been some
2: shit there. Oof. It's also my uh Abby is fond with me because it's the first time, the first time, um, when we started reliving the extremes, the first time I really made Chad pop. You remember that, night? Not off the top, no. Well, I remember it. It was, uh, when we were talking about Abby mm-hmm. when he was in ECW and he had how he had his steakhouse, and <laughs> you said, I don't know if he closed it or sold it. And I was like, Abby never sold nothing in his life. <laughs>
3: And Chad, like, oh, man, It was a, <laughs> a barbecue joint, wasn't it? Yeah. 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 In the Atlanta area, if I'm not mistaken. Man.
1: Number number 34, Antonio Inoki. 6'4", wow. 240, 31 years pro. Arguably the greatest competitor ever to come out of Japan. Currently a member of the Japanese House of Counselors. Wrestled Muhammad Ali in 1976. I don't want to spend a lot of time on Inoki. I don't either because I don't like him. Um, but he was, he was a big star. Yeah. Yeah, he was. I never really saw anything that he did that I was like, that was great. I mean, Jesus
3: Christ, look how freaking big he
1: was. Well, that's what I was going to say. That's why he was such a big star in Japan. Japanese men don't look like that. And that's not, that's not a knock. That's not, you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? You know, Japanese, the average Japanese guy, I mean, we're the average white guy in America. The average Japanese guy doesn't have a fucking jaw like that. And he is a right. fucking, you know, six foot four, and so. But I see why he was a big star. But we don't need to talk about him a lot because we're not Japanese. And
3: no, yeah. it's just. Uh, I'll say this: his win-loss record, what they have oh. on here, is pretty impressive. It's uh, two hundred ninety-five wins, forty-six draws, and sixty-five losses. So he he definitely won five times of what he lost. He was the Booker brother. <laughs> 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 it definitely goes to show you that if you're the booker you can be impressive. Ask I misspoke nothing.
2: I misspoke and said he wasn't Japanese. That was that was a misspoke for me by the way. Sorry. I was I, I don't know why, but I was like thinking of Ricky Dozan, he was Korean. <laughs>
3: yeah. But, but yeah, he was born in Yokohama. Anoki <laughs> uh, was. Number thirty three
1: Big Van Vader. Six okay. five three seventy five six years pro Colorado native is a huge star in Japan. Surprising aerial skills defeated Otto Wands for the Catch Wrestling Association title in ninety six. What a mask! So if we're talking about nineteen ninety, this Japan is this NWA is
0: yeah,
1: yeah he's and that's not even a big deal yet. He's just kind of special appearances and stuff, but yeah, this is a career about to fucking happen. And it's, we just, kind of, I don't want to say shit on the guy,
2: we didn't talk about it very much, but in Japan, fucking Anoki made him. Mm-hmm. What do you do, have him go out there and beat him in, like, five minutes or something like yep. that? Yep. And the fucking Japanese crowd
3: almost rioted, which never fucking happens. Right. Like, to me, that's the most prominent early super heavyweight besides, like, Haystack's Calhoun or, or somebody like that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And
1: Mark, I know. I think Aaron might know this, so I'm going to see if you know. Just a bit of trivia. Do you know? And Aaron, don't say it if you know it. I won't. Mark, I know do you know. Do you know who they originally in Japan wanted to be? Vader. That gimmick. No don't idea. Google it. No idea. Jim Helwig, the Ultimate Warrior. Really? Gimmick, yes, they actually create they created that gimmick with him in mind.
3: Right? <laughs> that would not fit whatsoever. But it's crazy because like it says cause of death for him is pneumonia. Like you got this big bad motherfucker, and he gets taken out by pneumonia. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
2: Vader was that- the first guy, and, and I don't want to say this because like I know everybody talks about Bammer, but Vader was bigger than Bammer. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like he was like the guy that you saw that was like this dude should not be able to do this shit. You know what I mean? Right.
3: Right. Like right. this is fucking. Fucking nuts. moves off from the top rope and you're like yeah, just four hundred pounds.
2: Just all of it. And um I wish to this day, that he, like Brett, talks about him on the 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 um, um, wrestling with shadows thing. He's like, oh, there's Vader. He he looks like a he looks like a badass, but he's a teddy bear. You know what I mean? And doesn't like want to upset people or anything. I wish in like 96, Vader would have wanted to piss people off. Like I wish, I wish Vader would have had Shawn
1: Michaels' attitude. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I wish he would have fucked Hulk Hogan up once. Yeah. Just, like, <laughs> then it the would f-
3: be Hogan with the lazy eye, and not Sean. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> what I'm saying. Like, or, or
2: when Sean fucked with him in the. Like, when Sean kicked him at SummerSlam and was like, get up, you fat fuck. I wish he would have got up and did exactly what he could have done to Sean. Right.
3: Oh, yeah. He could have hurt the shit out
2: of Sean. Oh, yeah. There's no way Sean would have been able to fucking handle it. And, but since he was just such a fucking. I'm here to make money and support my family. I don't want to upset the apple cart type thing. It's like, I don't know if that, sound, if, if that makes sense. But apple cart? <laughs> I wish he would have had the attitude of his
1: frame, if that makes sense. Yeah. Number 32 is Eric Embry. 5'10", 225, 10 years pro. Southern Champ has changed completely. Won the 1989 Inspirational Wrestler Award for saving the USWA from Tojo Yamamoto. Now he's managed by Tojo. Fine technician. For a regional guy, I liked Embry. I, I like him. Eric Embry too, but this is, he's a little high on his list. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I'll say, like I said, I I, I dug Embry. Um, he was um, I don't know, he was just one of those guys that, that I remember as a kid, you know, when watching whatever USWA or GWF or whatever promotion on ESPN that they would happen to be running at 3 PM in the afternoon. He was there and and he always, he was always entertaining. I don't think he would have ever done how, like, I think he was, I think he was a homesteader. I really think he
2: just liked to be in tech. uh, Oh fuck. He was a homesteader. He lived in the goddamn (laughs) esportatory. Yeah. Literally. Um, Yeah. Lived in it. Um, I said he like, like he's not a lot. He's still alive, but I don't think he would have ever been anything in the WWF. But I just always thought it was kind of weird that he never made it. Like he never got like signed by WCW. You know what no, I mean?
3: WCW, <laughs> world class.
2: Yeah, I know, but it's, just, it's like I think he would have worked in WCW as like a mid card
3: talent or whatever. But yeah, but All they got here uh, for, for him in 91 is Star Wars 91 and the Louisville show that they did in August. He defeated Lord Humongous. And then at Star Wars, he defeated unknown participants in the Battle Royal and then defeated the Dirty White Boy for the USWA Southern Heavyweight title.
1: And for those of you that have never experienced Eric Embry, the best way I can describe Eric Embry to you is he is the quintessential crybaby heel.
0: That's, that's, he that's looked,
3: the. He looks like David Gold with a
0: blonde wig on.
3: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: <clears throat> Number 31, <laughs> Steve Austin, 6'2, 241, two years pro, 1990 PWI rookie of the year, keeps getting better. <laughs> Just you wait. The current WCW TV champion feud with Chris Adams was among 90s hottest feud managed by Lady Blossom. Who was this?
3: He said that uh, Adams actually wanted to, to do that feud with him and, and you know, put him over. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that yeah. Pretty cool. Yeah. He Adams trained a, him. That's his trainer. Yeah.
2: Yeah. He was the guy that was in that group. Of people that were training, that they were like, "This is this guy," like, um, Jared even talked about it. Like, like everybody was looking at fucking Steve because it's like this guy, he's got long blonde hair, he's built, he's fucking big, he can move, like puppy with big paws is what they were looking at, you know? Yeah, yeah, And, and he can talk. Like even then, he could talk. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It was a different. It was a different Steve Austin, but he could still fucking talk. And um, I, I you just... know what?
1: And, and I know at this point, current WCW champion, he's in WCW or current WCW TV champion, he's in WCW by this point. But you know, it's weird of early Steve Austin. And yes, the the Chad or the Chad Austin, <laughs> the <laughs> the, uh,
3: the original style Paul.
1: the Chris Adams feud was great and stuff. But I don't know why. But do you know what my most distinct memory of, of him in Texas is? What's that? A throwaway squash match against Frogman LeBlanc. Yeah. I don't know why,
2: but that's doesn't like. He, doesn't he fuck him up? Doesn't he like fuck him up to the floor? I yeah, he, yeah, he floor does. Really hard.
1: But yeah, it's just like Steve Austin versus Frogman LeBlanc is this match that's just <laughs> stuck in my head my whole life. And it's just, I don't know. I'm like, what the fuck? Why is this one of my wrestling memories? <laughs> I think it's What's Matt's dad. Is. Wasn't that Matt's dad? <laughs> Moving on, number 30. Another great wrestler. Man, we lost last year. Bobby Eaton. Six Oof. foot, 233, 15 years pro. Former Midnight Express mainstay is now a single star. Recently held the WCW TV title. With Stan Lane, held the NWA World and U.S. tag titles concurrently. What can we say that we haven't already said? About the wonderness, the wonderfulness that is Bobby Eaton.
3: They called him beautiful Bobby Eaton, and then
1: that son of a bitch was ugly as hell. That's what I could say. God bless him. That's that's what you do, man. <laughs> Fucking hop on that horse and ride that motherfucker.
3: It, it's like when you have an ugly kid and, and people say, "God bless him." <laughs> <laughs>
0: or,
1: um, yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> um, Bobby Eaton. Um is a guy that um, and, and I know we're not talking about like careers a lot on this, but um just obviously through listening to like people talk about him and shit like that, he's one of those guys like one of those like top 20 guys that was just universally loved. And I've never heard anybody say Bobby Eaton was a motherfucker. You know what I mean? Right. Like, like, nobody's ever said anything bad about him. Like, when when Stan and, and Jim were going to leave, and they were walking out, and Bobby's like, what's going on? And they're like, we're leaving. And he's like, alright. <laughs> they're like, no, you gotta stay, <laughs> Bob. You got a special needs kid. Like, like you, you gotta stay. Like, like, get that money. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He, didn't, he didn't even know what they were pissed about. He was just like, alright.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and, I'm going with it. I'm going and, with you guys.
2: Yeah, you know, alright. And, um, there was this, there was this um, thing where like people were like somebody was interviewing him and he was just driving in a car and they were interviewing him. And um, it was I think he said it was like in like 92, 93, maybe they offered him a contract, like his contract renewal was coming up. And they sent him his contract and he forgot to sign it. And I can't I, I'm not going to go money wise on what it was but like he had put the contract aside and forgot to sign it. And they thought he wasn't wanting to sign because he was trying to hold out for more money. And that isn't even what he was doing. He was just like, he just forgot about it. He put it off the side and forgot to send it back. So then they were like, we really want you to sign. And they offered him even more money than
3: it was on. And he's like, all right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Houdini said, freaks come out at night. Evidently, it was midnight for him. What was that? I said, Houdini did the song, you know, the freaks come out at night. Evidently, it was midnight for the Express.
2: (laughs) (laughs) But I just, Bobby Eaton, like I said, he, he can't cut a promo to save his soul. But... In re in-, in ring, he was just the best. One of he would best.
3: have been a better rockabilly than Billy Gunn though. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and, and what did Cornette say about him? Like he was one of those guys that just knew how to do it.
3: Yeah, yeah. He was, he was a sound worker for sure. Yeah, he just he just knew how to do it. He couldn't teach somebody how to do it. They're like, why why you All do that? All jokes aside, like, in-ring work, grade A. One of the oh, most hell. beautiful mullets you've ever seen. <laughs> that might be where they got the beautiful from, was because of the mullet, it was luxurious.
0: And
2: I really um, think that um, him and Regal is discounted as a group, like, as a tag team. They are really fucking good together. Yeah, like I like the fact that Regal would like abuse Jives or whatever Jeeves, but Bobby be nice to him. (laughs) Like
3: like like, how we were raised in the South. Let me show you this. (laughs) It was good. It was good shit.
1: Number twenty nine is Ron Simmons, six two two sixty five years pro former Florida State football star is now a WCW favorite. Held (laughs) the WCW tag titles with Butcherita's Doom. Now has altered his attitude. Incredibly powerful.
3: It's okay. Prior to his heavyweight championship run, right?
1: Yes, this is prior. To it. He's not. He
3: doesn't win the heavyweight title until ninety-two. Right. I knew it was somewhere within within you know those years, the beginning of the nineties. But to me, Simmons Simmons is somebody who doesn't get talked about enough. Like. They, they talk about him being the first, flight like, champion and, and for that cultural aspect of that. But, like, as far as the in-ring work, Simmons was solid.
1: And Doom, Doom is one of my favorite tag teams of all time. Right.
2: And and Ron, um, I don't want to say that he was, like, one of the greatest wrestlers of all time, but what Ron did great was Ron was an impactful wrestler. Right. You know what I mean? Like, like the, the transition stuff or whatever might not be the greatest thing, but when that guy hit somebody with a slam or a spine buster or like, you know, those type of moves, like you watch this guy
3: do it. It's like, "Ah, I fucking believe that.
2: You know what I mean? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. This
3: this is like a great power slam and shit like that. Yeah. Not to mention the Dominator years later.
1: Number 28 is Jeff Jarrett. 5'10", 200 pounds, six years pro. Son of former wrestler Jerry Jarrett has already surpassed his father's accomplishments. Holds the USWA tag titles with Robert Fuller, one of the dying breed of classic wrestlers.
3: Longevity. I'll say that about Derek Longevity. He has had longevity in the business. Despite the fact that he's been in positions of power, uh, I really enjoyed a lot of his stuff. Not saying he's my favorite wrestler of all time, but as far as the wrestling aspect goes, he's there.
1: He obviously knows what he's
2: doing. And kind of like what I was saying about Eddie with being like The mind for the business, or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, What Jarrett has, like when I say, like with Eddie, when I was talking like mind for the 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 wrestling business. Jeff Jarrett has a mind for the business.
1: The yeah, the business end of the business.
2: Yeah, the the beat at all the wrestlers. He's like the guy that gets the business of the business.
1: Him and Triple H. Yep.
2: There's a reason that guy's in charge of basically
3: everything you see in front of everybody. You know what I mean?
0: Right. Yeah. Well, and I mean,
3: Jared's still wanna... on the creative team for WWE, is he not?
1: He's in charge of live
3: events for WWE. He's an executive now. Right. So, like, he definitely gets it as far as that aspect goes. Like you were saying, he gets the business end of it.
1: All right, number twenty-seven. One of the great, one of the great bell-to-bell pro wrestlers of all time, Jushin Liger. U.S. fans are craving to see the Japanese miracle man. Former IWGP Junior Heavyweight camp aerial maneuvers, especially
3: leaps out of the ring, are awe-inspiring. He was Japan's lucha style. In my opinion, and and the fact that they put so many belts on him at one time, he was kind of like you know you know how they did Ultimate Dragon with all all the belts, they did that with Liger too, and and like
0: he's legendary.
2: It was fucking stupid how talented <laughs> Jushin Liger is. All right, that's like that dude. It it. It's like, how do I don't want to say it? Like, that that dude was super talented. I, he's a guy that I can say I've never seen have a bad match. And, you know, like, the one of the best things that ever happened to him was? What's that? His outfit. And the reason his outfit was, like, the reason I'm going to say this is because it never, he never got old. Right, you know what I mean, like because <laughs> like guys are always the like guys can always be talented, like Terry Funk, you know what I mean Terry Funk was always talented, but he had to change his his gimmick because he was getting older, so he had to become middle aged and crazy, and then the the desperado, oh and this that, and everything. But since Liger was like covered head to toe, you didn't see yeah. him getting older. Does that make sense? So that gimmick was always like you didn't see his body, so you didn't see him getting just naturally older. So that's just why I think like his gimmick and his character was timeless and never felt out of place because he always just looked the same. And in the ring, he was
1: in the ring, he was superb.
3: Oh yeah. But here's something else I didn't know that he had six other ring names other than Deuce and Wagner. One was Cats. Thunder Tama, CTU Japan, Ranger. man. <laughs> CTU Ranger Yellow. I'm, I'm assuming that was something to do like uh, knock off of the Power Rangers. <laughs>
0: Don't try to um, figure.
3: It. Harariki, Katana number two, Kichi Yamada, Kishin Liger, and Mass CTU G, whatever that is. <laughs>
1: Number 26, as we get higher on this list, like I said, it's going to be guys we've talked about extensively, but we can talk a, a tad bit about their greatness. Number 26 is Rick Rude. Ravishing one is missed from the majors. Currently on the independent scene, former WCW tag champion with Manny Fernandez and intercontinental champion, great neck breaker.
0: Yeah,
2: one of my favorites. meaning the heels. He's one of my favorites of all time, and um, he's one of the rare guys that, in my opinion, once he left the
3: WWF, had a better career. Yeah. I don't know about you, but my favorite Rick Rude is when he... Like a lot of things that gets overlooked is the fact that he was basically like a manager for the early DX. Yeah. And it's crazy because his shoot name was Richard Irwin Rude, R O O D. So he only put he put another letter on his last name and put the shorthand version of his first name to create his gimmick name. And that shit worked. <laughs> it, it it did. And when he called you a sweat hog, you wanted to slap the piss out of him. <laughs>
2: but, but yeah, like, like like I was saying though, he's about to go into, in my opinion, the best run of his career is that late ninety one up until Hogan shows up in WCW Rick Rude. Mm-hmm. Fucking great. Like He got he just in WCW he's fucking great, and I don't even think it's like you know like you talk about like big fish small pond or whatever. I don't think it was that. I just think he was finally able to. He was still able to do the ravishing Rick Rude gimmick, but it wasn't so gimmicked or gimmicked, right? Yeah, like he went from being like I'm the sexiest man alive to being. I'm a badass. Mm-hmm. And I can fuck you up. And like, I think he looked better when he wasn't as ripped as he was in like WWE. I, I, I just like, that's some of my favorite shit is Rick rude. Like when he was with the Medusa and Heyman and all that shit, like that's, that's my favorite fucking Rick rude. And I just, I just fucking love that shit.
1: Number twenty-five, one of the best big man of all time, the Big Boss Man, began career as a bodyguard for Jim Cornette in nineteen eighty-five. Captured the UWF title from One Man Gang in nineteen eighty-seven. Adopted the corrections officer image after entering the WWF in nineteen eighty-eight. Heel, baby face, doesn't matter. Boss Man was one of the greats.
2: Yes, he was. And what was it when we were talking about? When we were talking about um, Piper. Something like they brought Piper in and had him work with Flair mm-hmm. to make Flair. How are we talking about that?
0: It was
1: just Flair coming into the WWF and trying to make him comfortable.
2: Yeah, they did that with Dusty.
1: Yep, he worked with Bubba first.
2: Yep, like, get this guy comfortable because this, this for one for one is is Ray Trailer going to give him a bad match? No, but two, it's like he's going to be comfortable with him and. Like you said, Heel, it worked. Babyface, it worked. But um, was it Raven talked about, like, the top 10 greatest gimmicks of all time and the fucking Big Ooh. Boss fans on, on that list? As you know, was,
3: like, the Big Bubba. <laughs> I did not enjoy that. I'm sorry.
2: The first <laughs> incarnation of Big Bubba was good. Like, the NWA Big
3: Bubba? Right, but not so much the WCW version. Yeah. But But, um lived and died in Georgia. He was born in Marietta and died in Dallas, Georgia. So if you ever take a trip down to Cobb County, Georgia, I'm sure they got something (laughs) of Ray Trailer anywhere.
2: But yeah, Ray Trailer, hell of a worker, great big man, and um Mm. just like everything I've ever read, all around good guy,
3: everybody loved him. Funny story, like uh, when I was younger, and <laughs> I used to read like the National Enquirer stuff <laughs> when it had anything wrestling related. He had a doppelganger that had like robbed some place of business, <laughs> and they were they were looking for Ray Charles. <laughs> 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 you guys good
1: have you seen the boss yeah. man? Have you see
2: the big boss man? You guys heard the ever heard the car door story?
0: Yes, I have.
2: Did you ever hear that, Mark? Nope. Cornette said they were getting swarmed or whatever. Him in the mid because you know, like big Bubba was the enforcer for Jim Cornette and the Midnight Express, you know. So he had to like get the fans away because the fans were wanting to attack the Midnight Express in the parking lot. So he got in the car and Cornette slammed the door and now you can tell me if I'm saying it wrong or whatever, but as they were driving away, they like heard boss man as they got away. He was just like, like, like this is hurts. This hurts." Cornette slammed the door shut to get away from the fans and they drove away and fucking Ray Trailer's hand was in the door. So, like, he basically slammed his door and latched it on the fucking boss man's hand. And boss man didn't want to say anything as they were driving away from the fans because he didn't want to break kayfabe and be like, I'm a, I'm a pussy. Open up the door.
3: <laughs> but This really fucking hurts, but I'm not going to show it. Right. <laughs> no, but, like, I thought that was funny because they were like, uh, you know, he, he it was his doppelganger with the whole uh, robbery thing. I was like, that's a man of the law. He would never do that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Number 24 is Stan Hansen. Even after earning the AWA and U.S. titles, the is still best known for breaking Bruno San Martino's neck in 1976, one of the be- wildest brawlers ever.
2: I one enjoy Stan characters. Hansen. One of the greatest characters ever. Yes. One of my my favorite lines he ever said was in WCW, and it probably was around this time. And they put out the top ten listings. Okay. And he was listed number six. And he was pissed. And he was like, number six, number six. I ain't ever been number six in anything in my goddamn life.
0: (laughs) He said, he
1: said, he said, I got a fat wife. And three fat kids at home to feed. Yeah, he's like.
2: And, and, and fucking, um, I don't know how you get. How do you guys feel about Tony Schiavone? Yay or nay? Uh,
3: Schiavone, as far as. Just you know, in general.
2: commentator, interviewer in general.
1: He's okay. I like, I like Tony.
2: Okay. Watch Tony Schiavone in that weird time when when Hanson was in WCW, you know, and he was like fuming at Luger and shit, and he was doing the interviews. Tony Schiavone selling the disgust on his face interviewing <laughs> Stan Hansen with all the tobacco juice and everything. is fucking great. Like he is literally wow. like puts his hand out to try to get distance
3: from him cuz he's like this guy is fucking disgusting. <laughs> I I feel like, uh, too, since we're talking about Stan Hansen, like, he was the innovator of that lariat. Like, that was his finish. Yeah. And legally blind. Right. And and nowadays, that's a a move that's used in every match, but it's no longer a finish. You know what I'm saying? Like, to me, that kind of died with the whole JBL. Those lines from hell. Right. And, and for his day and age and, and what he was doing, I like Stan Hansen.
1: So, for our listeners, you may have heard a change in my audio quality because for some reason, for the past couple of weeks, we've been cursed while we're doing this show. And I'm going to go, uh, one day I'm going to go on a spectrum rant like Jim Cornette. My internet went down, uh, so I'm on my phone. And because I don't want my phone to die before we get through the, the – the to get to number one here, I'm going to stop reading the descriptions for time's sake um, as we go into the top 23. And fuck you, Spectrum Internet. But anyway. Since,
3: since we don't have a PG rating, I was like, God damn it, Bobby. <laughs> <laughs>
1: We'll go through, and like I said, if there's anything that's of significance in this year, I'll, I'll mention it. But um, I just want to get want to get I want to well, get the list done because this has been a great series of the show. Uh, but to get through it before my phone might die on us as I'm trying to get my internet back up. Twenty-three. up. Twenty-three in the uh, PWI 500 is Jake Roberts top 5 promo in res- wrestling history am i going on, am i am i out on a limb there top 5 no. promo in wrestling history
3: it's like you were talking about morocco you know they had to come down to him mhm you know what i'm saying like and, and i didn't really appreciate jake the snake when i was younger as much as i do nowadays but like Jake the Snake was an innovator as far as that goes, and he made the DDT lethal. Mm-hmm. And in 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 in, in it
1: 1991, I'll oh, go scared,
2: ahead. It scared me as a kid, but I was intrigued. If that makes sense
1: in ninety in 1991, he also did. He also had one of the the to me think of me as a kid. And it doesn't get talked about a lot nowadays. To me, as a kid, one of the great rivalries was Jake and the Model with the whole blinding angle. Like yeah. to me, to me as a young kid, that shit was cool as fuck. The
2: thing
3: that gets talked about most of him is that him and Savage angle with the Cobra.
2: I actually don't mind. Um their blindfold match either. It's like the only blindfold match I've ever seen that I enjoyed.
1: Yeah, Jake Jake does perfect. Again, he's perfect psychology. He gets the crowd they involved. They both do great. Well, yeah, but you know what I'm saying about him getting the crowd involved? You know, I need the crowd to help me. Hey, give me a cheer. Give me a cheer. Yeah. But Jake's one of the greats. Um, as a person, kind of a piece of garbage. But as a performer, uh, you can't deny him. And as a,
2: as a person, the only thing I'll say is, um, did he really have a chance to be a good person?
1: <laughs> right. I
2: mean, yeah. You know I mean, like, yeah, yeah, he was, he was born into shit and
3: that happens in life. Yeah. You watch that dark side, uh, stuff. You kind of get inside looking on that.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. That made
1: a lot of things, that made, that opened a lot of, um, that opened my eyes to a lot of why Jake is the way he is. Right. Number and twenty. Number, number 22. A, oh, go ahead, Mark. I'm sorry.
3: And, and, and not to uh, cast a shadow on, on Jake or anybody, but like like Archie was saying, with, you know, his family, Sam Houston, like, there was a lot of missed opportunities there.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: So, like, people from that family could have really excelled had they know what knows what the hell to do with them creatively.
1: Yes. Uh, number 22, I'm sure everybody on this panel is going to say this is one of their favorites of all time. Everybody knows this is one of my top five pro wrestlers of all time, is the amazing Terry Funk.
3: Hells yeah. I love him as Chainsaw Charlie. I don't know why that gimmick stuck out so, so much with me, but like legit, that was like I was really intrigued by that gimmick because it was kind of like a "Look at me, I'm Leatherface" type thing. But he only had it was a pantyhose. On the top of
2: his head. That was his, that was his fucking idea. Like, there's people that shit on it and say, "Oh, they brought Terry Funk in as Chainsaw Charlie and fully said it, fully said." Funk didn't want to come in as Terry Funk. He was like, I'm gonna be chainsaw Charlie. I'm gonna put a panty on my head and have a and, chainsaw. And him
3: coming out in that, you know, in that plywood box and stuff like that. It, it, like it's just sitting there. Yeah. And it's the, like the whole mystique of it. Like, what the fuck is in this box? <laughs> and then, then he comes through that song with the chainsaw. It's like that shit was gold to me.
2: Yeah, but every, every incarnation of Terry Funk is is great. Yeah, I agree.
1: But at this time coming out of uh, coming into nineteen we're in nineteen ninety, going into ninety-one, he has just come kind of off his run with Flair and WCW, which is one of the great the great rivalries of all time.
2: Yeah. And, and, he's like, and he's moving into commentary now. Um that Flair shit was great when he was like um asked flair for a shot and flair was like well you know you haven't been working and you're like i I, you're not in the top 10 and he's like you don't think i'm a contender and flair's like no that's not what i'm saying you you know what i mean Mm -hmm. that was good shit and i was was, just i was just
1: joking about i was just joking about going on ahead and challenging you for the title
2: I i was just kidding you know but yeah everything terry did was fucking gold Number twenty
1: one? 20- oh go ahead. Sorry Mark.
3: His his finisher is like it's simplistic, the pile driver. But like if you look at look at it though, like he was ahead of his time almost. He sticks it every fucking time. Right, like he, he perfected that fucking pile driver. Like you didn't hear about like I know this is skipping ahead kind of, but uh like the Owen Austin situation, like Never heard that with Harry Coleman. Right. Uh,
1: number twenty-one. I don't know. This might be. This might be one of the prime examples if we're talking about nineteen ninety, going the into
3: 1991.
1: Nice this is his number one. This is my number. This isn't my the top three of all time. But in nineteen ninety, this man is the epitome. And you guys can tell me if you think I'm right. This guy is the epitome of the expression on the cusp of greatness. Number 21 is Bret Hart.
2: Oh, yeah. It's like I was telling you, where it's like that you could see, looking back at it now, that that Vince and Pat and Bruce... Not Bruce at this time. Bruce was gone. But um that that office knew they had something but they were not sure how to launch it. Right. And, and and they they weren't able to launch it because because they were still I think in the Hogan aspect of it like the Hogan mindset of it. You know what I mean? and and honestly um, the greatest thing to come out of the fucking
3: steroid controversy was Bret hart Yes, yeah, cuz it was no longer about the meeting man me it was the guys that actually could technically wrestle yeah
0: right
2: like vince had to go we got the steroid shit going on we got to get away from that who can we go with? Oh, what about Davey? Oh, shit. Absolutely not. Uh,
0: oh, what so about Warlord? Oh, <laughs> oh, shit. Absolutely not.
2: What about Brett? Fuck yeah.
3: Yeah. yeah. Like, was this prior to uh, the deal with him and Stu? <laughs> You know what I'm saying, like with the whole uh, Stampede thing. That's this is prior post of his deal with Stu and bringing Brett in. This is post, right? What was it sorry? This is a uh, post. The whole uh, deal with him and Stu about bringing Brett and all the Stampede guys. Oh yeah, this is. Oh, way. Yeah. He, right? Right. So uh, right. The, the Brett
2: at this like I said at this point, I think Brett was the guy that they knew was the guy on the mid that was eventually gonna be main, um, event, style. main yeah. event style. And they just didn't know how to they didn't know how to like pull it off. And it was a lot of it was a lot of um, like I said, start and stop with Brett as the singles, and um the 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 shit that I've read with Brett, he also didn't want to. He he was also somewhat concerned about what was going to happen with Jim because he was buddies with Jim and didn't want Jim to. Get, well, wow, Jim.
3: We what I about heard Jim?
2: What about that last week? Yeah. Um. <laughs> but yeah, this was finally, guys like Ted DiBiase and Randy Savage and Roddy Piper and all these guys saying, fucking Brett's the man. Go with him. Right.
0: In right? another year, he's going to be the
3: biggest fucking thing in the business. They dubbed him right with the excellence of execution because everything he's done was so crisp. Yep.
1: Number 20 is the Great Muta.
3: Oh, we're, we're supposed to say something now, right? <laughs> you don't know, uh, have to. But if people, if people don't know, he was trained by uh, Hiro Matsuda, Antonio Noki, Kotishi Yamamoto, and Kingo Kimura. And, and he was, was also, he's he's trained a few people that come up decently through the ranks. Of Japanese wrestling,
1: at this time he was Japan's biggest import to the United States, and he was lighting it up. And I mean, that's all you can say. I mean, the guy was the guy was uh, a he was something special in this country.
2: You want to talk about a wrestler that, if you want to use the word crisp?
0: That motherfucker yeah. was
3: crisp. Mm-hmm. And and you know how you said uh, you were on the fence about uh, ordering the whole uh, Rick Flair's last match, Nate. Uh, mm-hmm. You were talking with uh, with us and Arizzi and all that. That you you know you've only seen clips and you were on the fence about you know ordering it. If, right. you, if you do pay that uh, pay that money for it, it's also one of the things that they have on that StarCast weekend is uh, Sunny Ono translating and what are doing, kind of like a shoot interview. So, I mean, that was one of the little extras that kind of sold me on it.
0: Okay.
1: Well, number 19, I think, is a little high on the list for this year of
3: 1990
1: 91. Nikita Koloff.
3: guy that I have recently seen in person, and I will tell you this, that man has aged so well. He don't still look like, you know, that embodiment of during this era, but for a man that is his age, he still he doesn't look that old, and he's kind of got that whole uh, to me, I get James Mitchell vibes off of
1: I'm not a big Koloff fan, to be honest, and he's
2: he's like a yeah you are with like Warlord. mm -hmm. Like I can't explain why I like the guy, and I know he's not the greatest worker in the world, but I fucking like him. That's how I am with him.
1: Yeah, I'm just not a big Koloff fan. All I ever think of when I think of Nikita Koloff is
2: McIntyre. He
3: he does a whole lot of ministry work now, though. Honestly like mm-hmm. as far um, as you know I won't hold from, that against from, him from from that walk from that walk of life you know during them days like you can't tell me the kid didn't do no cocaine back in the day with it, <laughs> Not a day. it <laughs> you know what I'm saying like you can't say that he he never done drugs but like he's turned his life around And and as far as like a person and, and you know actually getting to see him and interact with him now yeah, well, the kid say. I always
1: say I'm not a religious person. I'm absolutely not a religious person. But if religion does something good for someone, that's cool. You know? Right. But um, number 18 is the Legion of Doom member, Animal.
3: That's weird. Man. Talk about how great! Like you, you know how you were talking about Simmons being an impactful wrestler, Aaron. Yeah, that's what Animal is for me. Like that power slam that he would do. Oh my god! Like
0: yeah.
3: <laughs> it, it, it was like they hit the mat with such force, and and just the sound that it made and everything. It was like to me, Animal was like always my favorite out of the two. Like I enjoyed Hawk, but Animal was like really fucking over with me. No, Animal was the worker for sure. Yeah, I was right. gonna say Hawk
2: was the Hawk was the talker and Animal was the worker and he had a drop kick that was better than it deserved
3: to be. Yeah, he then, was athletic like, as
2: fuck for a guy Yeah. Good. Like like he's he's an underrated big man worker in my opinion.
3: I agree.
1: number 17 on this list from 1990. One of the greatest bell-to-bell pro wrestlers of all time. If anybody disagrees with that, they're wrong. It's Ted DiBiase.
3: Hell yeah. For sure. Sound he got over as a heel like a motherfucker. And like, the whole million dollar man gimmick. I don't think you could have put that on anybody else and made it work.
1: And and at this time, at this time, he's you know, about two and a half to three years away from retiring. He's technically kind of winding it down, and you can watch it in his work because at this time, what does Ted start doing? He starts he starts putting over guys like Bret Hart. Maybe, maybe they have a one on one match and Bret doesn't win. But he lets Brett look really fucking good. Oh god right. dang,
2: man, right. that, that Survivor he... series
1: and... Oh yeah, the last the last the last seven minutes of that Survivor series match is one of my favorite matches ever.
3: Yeah. <laughs> it, 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 it's it, like it's what engraved. Brian Danielson said he wanted he wanted to do a start giving back to the business. Ted didn't have to say that, he just done it. But but yeah, like like
2: there, there ain't no hole in the game at Ted DiBiase,
3: no whatsoever. And, and, and you never seen a sleeper hole look so good. Um, we also. <laughs> what am I say?
1: How good do you have to be? when they're like okay so this is this is the gimmick that Vince McMahon covets as his favorite gimmick he's ever come up with if he was going to be a gimmick wrestler this is the gimmick he would have so we think you are the person fitting to have that gimmick that's a high compliment
2: yeah and and he talks about that um, and we were talking about Terry Funk um Teddy DiBiase has said that, um, like, you know, obviously his dad, infor- his stepdad or whatever, unfortunately, passed away. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But the guy that he looked at as, like, his father figure in wrestling was Terry Funk. And DiBiase talks about how um, Vince contacted him, asked him to come up. Um, but basically, told him we're gonna tell you this gimmick, um, and after we tell you, you have like before we tell you what this gimmick is, you have to sign this like um, paper.
3: That was his first non-disclosure,
0: <laughs> Yeah, a
2: non-disclosure gimmick, is what they had him right. sign. And um, DiBiase said he was on the fence, and he was talking to Funk about it, and he's like, "Wait a minute." Vince McMahon has this gimmick in mind for you. He's told you what it is and he tells you that you're going to fly around first class and um, this is the gimmick that he would give himself if he was a wrestler and you're debating on whether or not to sign the contract. Like, what are you thinking?
3: Right, You're not flying to the, the rest of us motherfuckers. <laughs> <laughs> like, sign it.
2: And it Number. is, hands down, one of the top three gimmicks in the history of wrestling. Him buying the pool is my favorite one, by the way.
3: My favorite thing was him and uh, cutting them promos. Outracer Ramon, I don't know why, but that sticks out to me.
2: My favorite Didiassi <laughs> shit is him buying the pool and kicking the basketball,
3: which are his best things. His shit with Tito Santana was gold also, and that'd be the last thing i say because I know uh, Nate's probably running out of battery over there.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, the next 16 are going to be kind of speed round, and that's fine. Because, um, again, these are all people we talk about extensively on the other podcasts. Uh, we'll try to get through them quick. Um Just so my phone doesn't die, and Aaron and Mark are just hosting a show with no host. (laughs) And fuck you, Spectrum, once again. Make them up. Um, And and I'm not saying we can't give a few thoughts, but a little less time on these these guys. Number 16, 1990-91, Sid Justice. I think it's an accurate rating. He was a huge star at this time.
3: Yeah, but I think okay. there was a few, not a lot like this, a lot of this, but I think there was a few that could have went before him.
1: Aaron?
2: As Sid was what he was at this point,
1: I enjoyed no. him more than WCW, but go ahead. I, I I liked him in the WWF. Um, but yeah, like you like you said, I think he was more to me. He was always more a WCW guy. Um, number fifteen. Later on, but at this point,
2: like when they tried to bring him in as a face, I thought it was a miscast.
1: Mm-hmm. That's okay. And they figured that out quick. Yeah. Uh, number fifteen, kind of a high rating, kind of kind of weird. Hawk.
3: I mean, it's like Aaron said, you know, he was a mouthpiece. Like he had a he had a way better promo than Animal. I mean, if we're being honest. But like he wasn't that he he was another impactful wrestler. He just to me animal outshined him a little bit from the working aspect. Hawk
2: had the better look and the promo, but Animal was the worker.
1: Most definitely. Uh, number four... Oh, go ahead, I'm Sorry.
2: The only thing I'll say about Hawk, like, one of my favorite things that he would do, and, and I know he loosened it a little bit to to visually do it, but I liked when they would come out in the NWA and he'd flex his neck and bust yeah. the, the collar. That was, was always
1: quite cool. Very much so. Um, and like I said, I mean, they were a great tag team, but I just, I don't know. In this 500, I think they're ranked a little high, especially in the WWF because their WWF run was very lackluster. Number 14, Barry Windham. Um, In the 90s, he was doing a lot of NWA stuff
3: and with WCW. I will say this, he did fit in pretty well as far as being a horseman goes because he was a technically sound worker. What was he really doing at this
2: point though?
1: What we're talking ninety, ninety one. Not a lot. Not a lot at this point. Um kind of mm-hmm. living
3: off past glory, I guess. A lot of it was Timor. Well, he's
1: feuding with, with Pillman, right? Yeah,
2: and Dustin.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, this is a miss, and I'm not disparaging Barry Wyndham, but this is not a good rating for him.
1: I think they overrated him here. Number 13 is a guy that can never be overrated. Kurt Hennig. The single best bell to bell pro wrestler ever.
3: Yeah, and like I always say,
1: that- not my not my favorite, one of my favorites, but not my personal favorite. But if I always say this, if I'm if I'm talking bell to bell, he's 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 the greatest natural pro wrestler of all time.
3: Like if it's a top ten thing, I would definitely put him there. Um, like we were talking about Sellers, he's definitely in top three for me. Uh, I I I really enjoy this stuff whenever he was managed by the coach. Mm-hmm.
0: And at this at this time he's killing it. Yeah, he's absolutely killing it.
2: Yeah, I can't say anything that I haven't already said about Kurt Hennig So.
1: Number 12, another one of my favorite wrestlers of all time, Jerry Lawler.
3: He was a USWA a lot during the 1991 era. Oh, yeah, definitely. He was in
2: USWA a lot for any era.
3: (laughs) I mean, for for what he was, I mean, if if he was in Memphis, he he was going to be beloved. He was anywhere else. He knew how to intervene and I mean, it was just that arrogant. He had he had the personality for it. Even though in retrospect, in reality, he's a like, good person. He he did his job and he did it well. Well, a lot of times people,
1: when
0: they talk about the history of wrestling,
3: they talk about well, you're
1: talking about the greatest stars of all time, so you have to cover. You know, all the way back to George Heckenschmidt and blah, 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 blah. Well, then I will say to you that even going back to George Heckenschmidt, blah, 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 Gary Lawler is one of the greatest pro wrestlers of all time. Oh, yeah. Look
2: look at the... body of his, like, the the career. You you can't find shame in the game on it, you know? And it's like, I don't want to talk about the guy um, himself... But his career, it's fucking great.
0: And like, shit what, ha- awesome what
2: hasn't that guy done? There. Right. Like, what hasn't he done? You know what I mean?
1: Number 11 for this time, I'll respect the rating. I'm not a huge fan, but I'll respect the rating for 1990-1991 is The Ultimate Warrior
3: for the time with respect, rating. and had the extracurricular stuff and all that not been so controversial, I would I would say, you know, maybe that's a, a little high, but I mean, to me, that's fairly fair, uh, a fair rating for this era.
1: Yeah, like I said, I mean, I'm not a fan. Never was. Um, even a even as a kid, like I, I mean, I w- I'll admit, as a kid, I was a Hulkamaniac. I love the Macho Man, et cetera, et cetera. But I was even as a kid, I was never really a big warrior guy. But you oh, can't argue nice. with you can't argue with the merchandise sales. You can't argue with the with the with the with the ticket sales. He was a big fucking star, and and actually and I know it's going to get some hate just because he is a much better wrestler, but I would under, I wouldn't understand why warrior was 11, but the next guy was 10. Right. And the next guy is Rick Steiner.
2: Fucking hell. Yeah. I don't,
1: I don't, I don't know how in 1990 and 1991, Rick Steiner ranks higher than the ultimate warrior.
3: Cause he doesn't suck. Yeah. <laughs> No, like though with the warrior, though when he come out and shoot them ropes, you were like, for some reason. Whenever I was younger, that like really got me fucking hype, and it was like a simplistic thing, and it it, it it went over with me. Steiner, Rick, he was technically sound, and I and I think sometimes he's underrated. Like he doesn't get talked about a lot in the right circles as far as. Yeah, you know, ring work. Oh yeah, he's fantastic. To me, he he's my favorite of the two uh, of the two Steiner brothers. Aaron, I'm
2: just I don't I, I've talked about Rick Steiner plenty of times that like Nate and you Nate you and I talked about it that I think it's crazy that he never was like I should he was never I don't think he would have ever been like a long-term NWA champion but I think there was a point in his career where he should have been NWA champion for like six months right yeah like I would have rather seen him go and I like Ronnie Garvin but it's like it would have been better for Steiner to go over fucking Flair than Ronnie Garvin you know what I mean
0: yes yes
1: Number nine, I think, is a guy we can all get behind here. Arn Anderson.
3: Hell, yeah. Hell, yeah. The enforcer. Like and I said, this- during the 90s, he was doing a lot of tagging with, uh, with Barry Windham and stuff like that. And, and you know, uh, and uh early nineties he was doing a lot of stuff with Oli, But in the late nineties he was doing stuff with Barry and stuff like that. But uh, technically sound my favorite spine buster of all time.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. And and he could he you talk about um, talking people into the building. Yeah. Orange promo skills uh, at t- there are times and Aaron you can tell me if I'm blaspheming or not but there are times when they're together that Arn is a better promo than Ric Flair
3: oh hell yeah I'm not blaspheming I'm not blaspheming at all Arn um, he
2: was I don't want say it like he was a wrestler that Like he was the he was a guy that looked like a guy, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like this is the guy at the end of the bar. I was gonna drink some beers and
1: the everyman, yeah.
2: yeah, the everyman. And he cut great promos, and um, he would holler at times or whatever, but didn't go over the top with it. And the one he he has. I shouldn't say it's a catchphrase, but he's like one of my favorite things a wrestler ever says, I don't want to toot my own horn, but toot toot. It's, it's <laughs> fucking good shit. And, and, and if you can wear glasses and a fedora and cut a promo and still seem intimidating.
1: You know what's funny? I was about to say like just as, as kind of jokingly but man, I wish Arn would have kept the fedora through his whole career. <laughs> Could have been a thing.
3: Yeah, it's what yeah. inspired our display.
0: <laughs>
1: Number eight, and I won't. Dis- I won't disagree with him being top ten at this time because he was one of the top ten workers in the in, in the world. Honestly, the
3: Steve Williams. About to deal. He
1: was,
2: but it's kind of a.
3: He weren't the doctor.
2: It's kind
3: of a high rating. Yeah, way high for this era, from my opinion. I it's
1: don't know, man. Right if, we're talking, if we're talking worldwide, him and Terry Gordy as a tag team at this time?
3: Yeah, it, it, it's probably based a off lot of his Japan team. stuff, wasn't it? Yeah.
1: Williams is oh. a guy that doesn't get, in hindsight, we're talking twenty twenty two. He doesn't get talked about enough in the, in the discussions of just amazing fucking workers, amazing fucking workers.
3: It might be the fact that the whole WWF run for him was kind of like,
0: yeah, and, and they write history now. They I mean, they I mean, write
3: history now. That, that, to me, that's kind of like a, a joke. 'Cause you don't really get to see how fucking really good of a worker Steve Williams was.
2: And based off
3: looks the WWF.
2: And based off looks, just an intimidating looking human being.
3: Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, he definitely looked like the guy you didn't want to fuck with. Yeah. Number seven Rick Steamboat. That's an overwriting for you, correct, Nate? What's that? That's an overwriting? No,
1: no. Um, Maybe at at this time, because at this time, He's he's in the WWF as the Dragon, and they're not really featuring him. But if you're coming out of 89 into 90, he just had one of the greatest series of matches to ever happen with flair. Um, and he is one of the great workers of all time, you know? I mean, he's, he is, he is, um, and and I know younger fans are going to be like, but I've seen a lot of Ricky steamboat, but I'll just say this, Ricky steamboat. If we're talking about modern days back in the day,
3: Ricky steamboat was Daniel Bryan. Yeah. Yeah. Like, the arm drags and all that, he definitely, those were crisp as far as Steamboat, steamboat goes for me. Like, if you're, if you're breaking down, okay, I'm looking at the wrestling business, and these are the moves that are associated with it. If you look at an arm drag, you want to look at Ricky Steamboat to get, you know, the whole precipice of how, how it's supposed to be done. Mm-hmm.
2: To me, this is a, um, um, I don't want to say it, a namesake rating. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, this is probably, and and I know you said you talked to him on John shows or show or whatever. To me, this is probably like a Bob Smith is a Ricky Steamboat fan and probably didn't agree with what they were doing with him, but was still like... It's fucking Ricky Steamboat. You know what I mean, right? Yeah, he ba- he based this one off of work rate, in my opinion, not what he was doing, but his work rate. And being a fan of him,
1: number six is Scott Steiner.
3: That's an overrate.
1: I think that I think that at number six, yes. I think that at this time you probably could have ranked him in the top twenty, but
0: not because nice. he he was really good. Oh yeah, so good. Like
1: Rick Rick uh, Scott Steiner is one of those guys that has two careers. You know, right. he has the career at this time where he was, I mean, so good. he can go toe to toe with Flair. And then later on, of course, he becomes the the muscle-bound Big Papa Punk. But at this time, I don't know. Like I said, six is a little high. But I think, you know, top 20, I can see that.
3: You're being generous because I would say 25. But uh, something that I recently learned is that when, you know, when he was all muscle-bound and stuff like that, he was actually lighter than he was whenever he was, doing the tag team with Rick and all that in this day and age.
1: That's pretty crazy to think about.
3: (laughs) Yeah, like, he looked ripped as hell with the whole Big Papa Pump gimmick, but like back in that day, he was... I guess, because you know they say muscle weighs more than fat. Mm -hmm. So, I guess he had a little more padding on it and... everybody talks about steroids and stuff and they think Big Papa Pump but to be honest with you I think it was just that he dehydrated his muscles that much just my opinion I'm not saying that he didn't ever use steroids but I'm just saying like uh, Big Papa Pump character it might have been the whole fact of his muscles dehydrated to where you, you know, all that showing.
2: Aaron? Scott Steiner? Um, I think Scott got rated this way because um, um, WCW was doing the singles kind of push with him and having him work with Flair and that's why he got rated where he was at and he was doing crazy shit like that, Frankenstein.er and the um, Skyner screwdriver, and Scott was just kind of a a freak at this point, and I think that's why he got rated where he got rated.
1: All right, we finally reached the the top five of the inaugural PWI five hundred, and I think that as I'm looking at it. There are There is one spot I would change. But other than that, talking about this time period, this year, I would say this is fairly accurate as far as the top five wrestlers in the world. But again, I would switch one and we'll get to that. But number five is Sting. Woo! Sting. You're talking 90 and, Sting. and I'm not mis- Oh, go ahead, Aaron.
2: I was just gonna say he's having his best in in ring work at this time. Mm-hmm.
1: And and I'm not I'm not I'm not um I'm not trying to discredit Flair at all. But at this time, Sting is WCW's greatest hope. And he's their biggest
0: star.
3: Yeah. This is like uh like um American flags thing and the whole uh
0: green and
3: black and, and stuff like that, correct? Right? Yes. Yeah, like for for this time I believe that's accurate rating, right? like you said. And uh this is after the whole black scorpion gimmick, right?
0: Oh yeah. This is yeah, this is uh
3: wait, 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 wait. No, this is before yeah. that. Well, '90, no, the, the, December, the, 18th, the, the, like the rating system
2: they're him. going off of, he was going through that at that point.
3: Yeah, like Starcade '90 was Sting defeated the Black Scorpion, and then uh, WCW Live in December 28th of '90 was where he defeated Ric Larry. So that was after the fact that they revealed that the Black Scorpion was. Quote unquote, Rick Flair, even though there was multiple men behind that gimmick.
1: Okay. All right. Well, then I've been proven wrong. So I'll say this. Park Brew. <laughs> if
0: you remember
1: episode 172. Anyway. <laughs> um, but yeah, Sting. Sting was great at this time. And he was, again, like I said, he was WCW's greatest hope at this point and 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 to their credit for a while they did a good job with him
3: he took something so simplistic as a flash in the corner and made that as his signature move before the scorpion death uh lock if i'm not mistaken or the scorpion death lock and the scorpion death drop he you know he did that all that but like at something as simplistic as a splash in the corner was so impactful, and that was what he used to set up for his finisher, and to me, that was like he he could really get the crowd involved just by something simple. Mm-hmm. And, and that says least of bounds about his training.
1: Number 4 and this is this is the one I'm going to say I would I would I would transverse with somebody else coming up but number 4 is Randy Savage my favorite pro wrestler of all time um but at this time you know he's well he's, he's come off the, the retirement match with with Warrior but we're talking about the year prior and he's doing great stuff. And he is I mean he's 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 fantastic. Randy is fantastic no matter what. No matter what's going on. Randy Savage is the fucking man. Um you I guys knew
3: where he did all that stuff with Dusty and Sapphire, correct?
1: Dusty and Sapphire, the shit with the warrior, you know, all yeah. of it. Like like he made Obviously, he made Warrior look amazing.
3: Yeah. In my opinion, greatest promo damn near ever. Not discounting his in-ring work, but his promo skills were way beyond his time.
2: Savage is a guy that you can, when you say hit on every level, was a guy that hit on every level. And he uh. face, he worked as a heel. Uh, there's no holes in the game of Randy Savage. And um, there's just nothing bad you can say about the guy. At Ever. all.
3: And Ever. all I have to say in response to that is-
1: Well, number three for for the first PWI 500 is Rick Flair.
3: Again, I have to woo.
2: (laughs) I'd switch him and Flair. I'd switch him and Savage.
3: I would leave Flair where he is.
1: Um, my difference comes in a minute, but
2: this was um going into um and the only reason I put that was this was flair going into his um and you wouldn't know it at the time looking at it, but looking at it reading his life story and everything like that. Um, The 90 Ric Flair until he got to working for Vince. Um, This is when he he struggled the most and was I don't think this word has ever been used for Ric Flair, but this is when he was in his most sluggish and out of shape.
3: Mm Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Um, have you not seen the last match? I'm <laughs> not talking <laughs> now. <I'm> talking
1: his <laughs> last match. His last match was at WrestleMania 24 against Shawn Michaels, Mark.
3: And and that's what we will remember because that's where we want to see great play. And that's where the yeah. shit was actually good. And, and, and yeah, and like I, I know you sure. guys I just, are, I know uh, you guys yes. are, you
2: guys
1: are joking or whatever.
2: But Nate, do you, do you get what I'm saying?
1: Yes, for this time period. He had like, lost this, all confidence. This
2: was the Jim Hurd shit. And... And... I, did, I, I, I just, on all Yeah, I wouldn't put him over Savage in this. He was fat. Like, he was... I'm, so, I'm sorry. And and he's, like, in my top three favorite wrestlers of all time. But at this time, he was fat and just was not... The Ric Flair that I think about.
3: Well, we don't have Archie Mitchell here to uh, argue a point. So, Aaron, I would definitely die on this
0: hill with you. <laughs> <laughs> All
3: right.
1: Number two, and this is the guy that I would actually transverse with Savage. And I know at this time he's a WCW champion. He should have been but no, number two is Lex Luger, um, and and I'm not discrediting Lex, and at this time he he was good for what he was. But I would put Randy at two for me personally, and Lex at four. Um, he was at his best at this time in WCW. He had his coolest his Fucking entrance music is fucking cool as shit. Yeah, but he just—I don't know that I'd rank him two. I would probably rank him four, and Randy two. But Lex Luger is number two in the PWI 500, the first one.
3: Yeah, I wouldn't put him over Flair either. Like that—that, that, like you said, now you put him at four. That would have been a fair ranking for me, and. This is pre WWF, correct? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. This is uh, NWA Lex Luger. Yes. Yeah. So, but like as far as physique goes, great look. Um, I think they could have dealt a little more with him in WWF. If they had known how to properly push him because, uh, to me, that whole like. Express thing and all that was bullcrap, but I mean that's that's a whole other hill that we'll climb up some other time. Uh, I, I'm in race
0: with
1: w, the WC, WCW at this time, absolutely positively knew how to book Lex Luger. I'm mm-hmm. not I'm not denying that at all. I just say to me, he's for Randy's too. But he was fantastic at this time. This is actually from 1990 until he leaves WCW in '92. Is my favorite Lex Luger, right? Um, but like I said, I just I would just flip him and Randy. That's 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 the only that's the only complaint I have.
3: We're in agreement on that because I don't think you put him over Flair. And I don't think you put him over Savage. You just my opinion. Aaron, um, th-
2: this is the best run Lex had. That eighty-nine to right before it was a ninety-two when he went to Vince. Yeah. That that's yeah. his best run. And oh, for sure. And I like like um. I wholeheartedly believe that um, when he wound up with Harley, that was supposed to be um, Flair being managed by Harley, and Flair left, so they just transplanted Luger into there. But it. How do I say it? I think Luger gets a lot of shame on his game, and the narcissist gimmick. I like that, and and it's like Mark said with the Made in the USA thing. He was just the wrong guy for it, and I don't think he should be number two in this list, but he should have been – I I don't think he should be number two, but he does deserve to be in the top ten. And I
1: think from a a kayfabe magazine standpoint – He's ranked two because he's a champion of the number two promotion,
3: you know. And I will say this: a shoot, fucking torture rack hurts like a bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Just saying, that's not a lovely predicament. All right,
1: so number one, we finally reached the position of number one. it's not not inaugural 500. EWI 500, and for this year, for the year that it took place, Date the year that it, for the for the year for the year that it happened, <laughs> it's appropriate.
3: Tell me, you really just said fucking
2: date? <laughs> I'm. St- look, can I guess? Can I guess?
3: Yeah, go ahead.
0: Guess.
2: I'm thinking it's one of three people. It's either Dink, George the Animal Steel, or Sal Balomo.
3: <laughs> Aaron, this, this is why we are free. <laughs> Hit me there. If that wasn't comedy, I don't know what the fuck you
0: <laughs> Well, zero, you,
1: zero out of three ain't bad, Aaron. Oh, Number man. one, and like I said, for the year that we're talking about, it is wholly appropriate. It's Hulk Hogan.
2: Yeah, this is his apex. It's the swan song of Hulk Hogan
1: until the heel turn.
2: Yeah, until the heel turn. Uh, okay, that's what I said.
3: This is when they were F- doing shit like uh, Hogan and Tugboat versus you know Bravo and Earthquake and and all that, and then like Hulk, uh, Hogan and Tugboat versus Valentine and Punky Song and all that in the nineties is when this was happening. So like, I agree with it. that was his swan song that was like his apex. I don't know, like to me like okay, I get why he's number one during this era, but to me when we go back to that question about the overrated, underrated and all that, I think Hulk Hogan is sometimes overrated. I think he's
2: work wise, I he's underrated. Um because that motherfucker is the greatest salesman, is one of the greatest salesmen in the history of professional wrestling. And could fucking rap like nobody's business and knew exactly what his fucking character was. And <laughs> no shame in the game on Hulk Hogan. And Nate, I put, I'll break
3: Kenny Favre on this one. Like, because you are talking about, like, he was the greatest, greatest self, and then, all. yeah, and when you're when you're trying to put that heel up with the shine and then all that, you know, you're supposed to shine him up and make him look real nice before, and he comes back, but that whole no-sell with the whole cup shit, to me, like, that that's just not over with me. So, I'm and, not- and we, we, we got into the weeds about it last week,
1: with dying on a hill. And I might literally die on a hill because my phone's about to die. <laughs> I'm going to die on a hill with Hulk Hogan here at number one in the inaugural PWI 500. Because that's a big thing. We've been doing this show for like two months now. Um, going through this. He deserves to be number one. And I'm going to die on a hill. People that hate on Hogan are full I mean full to the to the if they have green eyes, their eyes are brown. People that shit on Hogan, especially during the nineties and eighties, are absolutely full of shit. And that's They're full gonna... of shit. He that's is not... he is the him and austin are the two biggest box office draws in the history of pro wrestling and so they shit, shit on that is because you're pretentious
2: and, that's what and you want
1: this you want to sound superior to everybody
2: and that's what i was going to ask you Nate or not tell you or whatever i'll tell you i'll tell you
1: <laughs> i'll tell you
2: <laughs> i'm 39 years old Nate what are you like 47
1: I'm 43, goddammit.
2: I know, I'm (laughs) fucking
1: Damn, you don't even
2: know how old your brother is? (laughs) I know how old my brother is. Nate's 43. Mark, how old are you? I'm 32. 32? Yep. Jesus. Um, Well, I'll say, between me and Nate's age, Nate, anybody that tells you that they were not a fucking Hulkamaniac. Oh,
0: they're they full t- of shit. They're,
2: a, they're full of fucking
3: shit. I that's know like, one fucking person that God can't tell me, you. That.
2: If you're between me and Nate's age, you were a motherfucking Hulkamaniac. That's like
3: my that's, that's like my, that that's like
2: my
1: that. son. That's like my son who is twenty saying he isn't a John Cena fan.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 or or
2: Um, taking it out of wrestling, okay? It would be like your daughter, like a girl her age, telling you that she wasn't a believer or a believer, you know what I mean? Yes. Like, like this was a cultural icon (laughs) that if you were into that, genre of entertainment you were a fucking fan of him right? There, and anybody that says I didn't like him back in the like I'm a guy that can tell you I love Ric Flair you know what I mean like I love WCW and everything WCW and the NWA did and I was a Ric Flair fan but I'm not the guy that's gonna be there sitting there and be like I only like Ric Flair and fucking Dusty Rhodes Fuck Hulk Hogan! It's like no. If you were in our age group, you were a fucking Hulkamaniac.
1: And if you not, if you no. say if you say you weren't, You're you are up to Mark. your eyeballs. Yeah, you are up to your eyeballs and bullshit.
3: <laughs> I, I'm not gonna say that I didn't have a Hulk Hogan, Hogan Well, Hulk and actually,
1: with, it, with your age group though, Mark, you can say that. You know, I mean, retrospectively. You can say that, yeah, maybe Hulk Hogan, but 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 for me and Aaron, nah. Anybody in our age group that says they weren't a Hulkamaniac is
3: trying to, they,
1: yeah, they're trying to sound smarter than they were.
3: Oh no, like legit. Growing up in my childhood, I had the whole Hulk Hogan poster with him ripping the shirt and all that on the back of my door. But like looking at it from a a, a nowadays aspect, like. You know how they talk about the five moves of Doom? Mm -hmm. To me, that's that's Hogan. But those five
2: fucking moves were fucking great.
3: (laughs) Well, I mean, it's like we were talking about Sting earlier, and I said, you know, he took something as simplistic as the splash in the corner and, and, you know, got it over. But, like, just, like, analyzing it, from nowadays, what what with my views on wrestling and stuff, sometimes I I just feel like he's overrated. I don't think I, I'm not gonna neglect that he was a cultural icon during that time or anything like that. I'm just, I'm just saying like as far as a wrestling standpoint, technically it wasn't you know all that great. To me so, and. <laughs>
2: wrestling is fucking Hulk Hogan, like, hulking up and doing his shit. You know what I mean? Like, and, and,
3: and I went back and researched it and seen the whole Sterling Golden and all that before he was Hulk Hogan. Like, I'm not I'm not saying this from an uneducated standpoint. It's just sometimes to me it just feels like... like I'm not gonna say he didn't have a great physique and he did not <laughs> look like what the fuck a wrestler should look like. I'm just saying, like, as a technical wrestler, like... Hulk Hogan is not a technical wrestler. As, for me. Well, as an eighties an
1: okay. and as an eighties and nineties, the eighties and nineties were remarkable years as a wrestling fan. Okay, okay. So it's kind of like when you hear people in their mid thirties back to their twenties. It's like I would say about Dory Funk. Right. I'd be like I'd be like, I don't see it. Or Bruno, I don't see it. But in that time, that was what those people wanted to see and they loved them. They fucking loved them. And you oh, cannot you cannot argue with
3: it. that, you know? Right. I, I'm Let not discounting that whatsoever. Let me ask this, okay?
2: We, I don't want to say it. We all know wrestling's fake. Shouldn't say fake.
0: No,
3: wrestling's, you know, wrestling's real. People are
2: fake. You, 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 guys, get what I'm saying? Like, like it's a show.
0: It's still okay? real. Me, damn it!
2: Would <laughs> you guys rather watch? Um and. and, and I'm not shitting on the modern product because there is modern product stuff that I like. So what would you rather watch somebody kick out of, and I'll, I'll use this guy as an example because he's, he's my favorite current performer. On all these shows, you see Brock Lesnar hit like five F5s on Roman Reigns and he kicks out of each one of them, Right.
3: It's a lost art, because finishers aren't what they used to be.
2: That's happening. And then Roman Reigns hits, like, four Superman punches, and Brock just keeps kicking out of each one of them. Now, is that believable to you guys?
3: No, because...
2: Now... Hulk Hogan, Hulk Hogan, in his match with, say, Andre the Giant or Big John the Stud or Don Morocco, is being clubbed in the back of his head repeatedly. and, And he's selling and he's holding the ropes and he's shaking around. And eventually, gets the upper hand, and can block a punch. He doesn't block seven of them. He only blocks two. <coughs> he looks at the guy and goes, uh-uh, that ain't going to happen again. And then he eventually builds back up. Nate,
3: right. Uh, I mean, I get what you're saying. What I'm saying. Like, as far sense. as the art of the shine, Hogan had it. Hogan but, fucking like- had it. Yeah, he was but as, as far chain, as like a technical wrestling, and, he wasn't a chain wrestling guy or anything
2: like no. that. No. Yeah. And you don't have to be a fucking chain wrestling god. Okay. Or what a, a chain wrestling guy. Like, that's not what it's about. It, it, it would be like trying to compare like Dean Malenko to Hulk Hogan. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> you know what I mean? It,
3: it, it's a I, I whole
2: different fucking thing.
3: It's the showmanship
2: of it and it's the big sell and nobody sold bigger or better than fucking Hulk Hogan and nobody could get the sympathy the only person that could get bigger sympathy for himself than Hulk Hogan was fucking Ricky Morton and it was totally different but it was the same goddamn thing it was the big sell and and just captivating a fucking crowd. And nobody in the history of wrestling did it better than Hulk Hogan. Nobody. And he's not even my favorite wrestler. But nobody captivated a crowd of people for sympathy better than Hulk Hogan.
3: Nobody. Right. I mean, he he did, like, all right, so you do the whole shine, shine, shine your heel up or whatever, make him look good, and then, but my, my, like, my biggest problem with that is, like, okay, this whole time you've been selling them clubs to the back of the head and all that, and then all of a sudden, now this shit doesn't affect me yet, but I've got hit with it 30 times, and, and I sold it every time, but now, now it doesn't affect me. I've just got
2: used to it. It, it, it. It's storytelling, man.
1: It's a fucking movie.
3: We make movies.
1: Well, we we make movies, pal. <laughs> we we have we have uh, finally reached the apex. Of the PWI five hundred. I didn't my mean phone, to go
2: on a big tirade about Hulk Hogan and I hope it didn't I kinda did.
1: My 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 no. phone has reached the apex of its battery life. You don't have so, plugs? What? You don't have pl- <laughs> you
2: don't what
1: me? You don't have <laughs> plugs? What? <laughs> that being said, we're gonna sign off here. And Aaron, any parting words for our listeners after as we have completed this journey through the PWI Um, inaugural 500.
2: Just thanks for listening, and I'm sorry I went on like a Hulk Hogan tirade that probably didn't make any sense or have any validation to it, but I think he's deserving to be there.
3: I mean, I get why he's there, and and I'm not going to go on a a tangent and all that, but – uh. This week on, on March Cindy Spotlight, I have uh, a female guest that's gonna join me, and then I also have a male guest that you'll be getting an episode of afterwards, and got some interesting stuff coming up, so tune in, listen, we can't wrestle, um, definitely, because we're listening to it now, but, like, continue to listen to it, because... I love having these conversations with these guys. Uh, the year that was dot, dot, dot from Aaron Maxson. <laughs> That's a good show. I don't, I don't know why we have to do the dot, dot, dot. but <laughs> It's because but, no,
2: I I tried to Google, uh, Google. I tried to Spotify my own show and I typed in the year that was and there's already one called it and then I typed in the year that was dot, dot, dot and then my show popped up. I'm like, okay. <laughs> All
3: and right. It so the year, was, the year that was dot dot dot. Also tune into that if you smell what the Arch is cooking, Reliving the Extreme. That's always golden, uh, Golden Voices with David Gold and Cheyenne Ortiz, if I'm not mistaken. And just anything that the WrestleNet Radio Podcast Network has, tune in and we have something for everybody. And if you don't like us, well, then be like WWE and get the F out. And try to say something with
2: out, like try to say something and put dot, dot, dot at the end of it and not kind of giggle a little bit. It's (laughs) funny.
3: Well, I mean, it it just gets me because, like, every time you say the year that was, dot, 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 I don't know why, but I giggle. (laughs) I'm sorry. That's just me and my personality.
2: (laughs) Like, go into a conversation, okay, and be like, oh, man, I was driving this golf cart. I was driving this golf cart, and uh, I accidentally ran somebody over and dot, dot, dot. (laughs) It's kind of like the yada, yada, yada from Seinfeld, you
3: know? Yeah, I dig it. I dig it. Check out all the
1: shows on the WrestleRack <laughs> Radio Podcast Network. Dot, dot, and dot. um <laughs> thank you for joining us on this journey through the PWI 500. And next time... Little shit, pal. Depending on how the recording schedule works out, our next show will either be the Hall of Shame or trivia. So we it could be vice versa. It, it could be Luger Savage. You can vice versa that I will decide as we go on. But um, we're either going to have, have trivia. We're gonna <laughs> we're gonna have trivia or Hall of Shame but either way those are your next two shows as we have finally concluded our journey to the inaugural 500 and everybody thank you for joining us this week on the We Can't Wrestle podcast Aaron, Mark thank you for joining the We Can't Wrestle dot 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 podcast (laughs) and we'll see you next time around have a great week everybody
3: (laughs) perfect way to end it